0: coming up on This Week in Startups.
1: There's been so much of this sort of self-aggrandizement that, and I've been, I feel kind of sad even saying that I'm almost jaded by those kinds of emails now. When somebody's like, oh, I've sold my last company for 30 million, I'm starting a new one now, please take a look. To me, instantly, I go to the place of, well, why hasn't anyone else taken a look? Which is definitely not the right way to think about it.
0: This Week in Startups is brought to you by... Masterworks, the first company allowing investors exposure into the blue-chip artwork asset class. Twist listeners can skip the 30,000-person waitlist by going to masterworks.io and using promo code TWIST. LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. And Data IQ. AI-driven growth is not just about technology; it's about organizational transformation. Join more than forty-five thousand people worldwide who are driving results with Data IQ. Visit dataiku.com. All
2: right, on the program, the second ever guest, who will remain anonymous, this is the second time we've ever done it in the history of the program. We normally don't like. Have anonymous guests. We want people to own their words. The first time was uh, Bitfinext, which is a very cool Twitter handle that has been covering uh, shenanigans at Tether. Uh, I'm being charitable. Shenanigans would be the word I'd use. If I'm not being charitable. I would say uh, fraud, fines, and sanctions, uh, which have occurred uh, around the globe for that firm. And um, you probably, if you're in the capital allocation community, are well aware of a very funny account on instagram and that account is called praying for exits uh, it also has a twitter handle uh, as mr exits but i don't actually consume it there i consume it on instagram the account uh, makes fun of communicates with and otherwise dunks on and has fun with capital allocators and vcs and the folly of what we do for a living we are going to disguise the voice of mr exits who uh, as best as we can tell, worked for you know, some sort of average, you know, prototypical VC firm. We as a disclaimer here, do not know. this person could work for me. This person could not be in the industry. We have no idea. So disclaimer, 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 the account's hysterical, and I thought interviewing an anonymous uh, account would be funny. so welcome to this week in startups mr exits
1: thank you for a, a really wonderful introduction and excited to talk to you it's, it's been a long time coming
2: uh may i call you praying
1: you can call me whatever makes you happy jason
2: so i will call you uh, i'm gonna call you mr exits because it's funnier so how long have you been doing this twitter handle and what was your inspiration for doing it
1: well i've been doing it for about three years now and as far as my inspiration um, maybe I could ask you a question that your audience might not know about and could help us sort of contextualize this a little bit more. Sure, why not? And uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about CyberSurfer's Silicon Alley. Mm.
2: Uh, so when I was in New York, uh, uh, my first job as a writer was writing for Paper Magazine. I had had a magazine called CyberSurfer. My online handle was CyberSurfer. I had, uh, when you first got onto online services in the 80s, you picked the handle. The handle was not your name. And so I was the Cyber Surfer, which was based on the Marvel character Silver Surfer. Uh, And then I did, uh, we had this term Silicon Alley, referred to New York, and I did silly, as in like it's silly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was my first little column, my first writing byline, in fact, in Paper Magazine.
1: Yeah. So 1994, maybe. Wow. Yeah. So I'm I'm a big fan of Paper Magazine, maybe not since back then, but more recently, just culturally. And I saw that you had sort of like a semi pseudonymous. sort of thing that you did there and just i think that you know probably a lot of the same things that you saw um when you decided that that was a good idea Mm. um was probably a lot of the same inspirations that kind of led me to where i am um the original impetus for the account was never for it to be anything larger than more of a journal for myself to Mm. really highlight things that i felt um were sort of incongruent between what was widely available via the media and what I was experiencing uh, myself as a venture capitalist allocating capital in kind of that environment. And so really what the impetus was, was just providing a more realistic view of what I thought that I was seeing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't necessarily need or care to have an audience, which is why it's been private this whole time. This never really was for um, any sort of like notoriety, Um, I think it really was just, you know. considering like a cyber surfer as well it, it was just to really provide commentary in the most accurate way i thought possible about an industry that i don't think necessarily has too many outlets that are you know providing a, a more just black and white commentary i'd say
2: and what has the reaction been i saw it and like vc brags and other goldman sachs elevator other Mm-hmm. you know um uh, accounts that poke fun at our industry i thought it was hilarious uh, and people sometimes don't have a sense of humor mm-hmm. uh, so i'm curious what has the reaction been uh, to the gentle ribbing and or dunking or commentary been writ large any uh, notable uh, people upset and or blocking you <clears throat> mark
1: and Jason. <laughs> um mark has not blocked me but you know oh. i have heard Um, He's had some some commentary on some specific things, which is totally fine with me. I don't think that I've gotten a very negative response overall. um, Just because I try to keep things as honest as possible and try to keep my opinion uh, out of things as much as possible, so I I really try to be try not to sit there and say, "Hey, I think this specific founder or company, um, you know, is is not credible." If if I don't have any um, real experience that tells me otherwise, I think what I try to do is I try to. Whole threads um, in in VC land where, you know, I think that everybody would agree um, that it's either a problem or it's either something funny to contextualize it with. Um, but maybe because they're not anonymous or because they don't, because they have a lot riding on sort of the credibility surrounding their persona that they've created, um, mm-hmm. they're less inclined to be honest about these kinds of things. I really, really don't have any interest in just being. Like I think one of the things, and this is no hate on VC Braggs or anybody else, but I think it, it's a very low form of humor just to like put people down because you disagree with them or whatever it might be. I think what's a lot more interesting and what I really try to focus on is like there, has, there should be a level of truth telling that mm. matches the level of kind of like uh, building up your own brand that exists in this space. And I, I really just want to create sort of a more even playing field between those two states of being.
2: And it really is um, incredible how just 20 years ago, when I was still a journalist, uh, journalists weren't really brands. You'd have a Walt Mossberg once in a while, but generally Uh journalists weren't brands. And founders once in a while became brands, Steve Jobs, Uh notably Bill Gates, but not too often. Uh Um, And VCs were not brands at all. Uh In fact, they shunned the limelight. They generally didn't do press. And just in the last 15 years, social media, blogging, uh, and podcasting, uh, has led to this playbook, which arguably, you know, uh, I was one of the pioneers in, uh, Fred Wilson was of, you know, a, just talking about what we do as capital allocators. And before that as entrepreneurs, but now it's kind of jumped the shark in a way where new VCs, and I'm interested Uh in your take on this, feel like job number one, is to build their personal brand sure. and somewhere down the list after building their blog and their medium and their avatar and their podcast is uh, investing in great companies and growing them it, right. it seems like they've almost got it backwards mm-hmm. uh, maybe you could comment a little bit on the insanity of the celebrity investor
1: yeah I think it, I think I have like two sort of comments to it one is something that somebody told me very early on in my life and something that stuck with me, and, and which is the way I've decided to approach my career, which is that, you know, like the manager is never the artist in the sense that in the music industry, if you are managing Madonna or Bono or somebody like that, you are not them just because you are enabling them and allowing them to succeed in some way, shape, or form through your work. That doesn't mean that you are them. Yeah. And I think that we've created this kind of like flywheel that has these very negative implications in the sense that, um, there are so many new funds that have popped up that there is now without sort of like, especially if you're a newer capital allocator, you don't really have much to go on as far as track record or sort of any level of, unless you're coming from, you know, uh, that industry coming from the industry before. There's not a lot of different ways to differentiate yourself for LP dollars besides sort of like this level of self-aggrandizement that mm. I think that everybody feeds into and I think that once one person sort of starts that, it becomes an avalanche. Where you know, if you're competing for Harvard endowment dollars, you better have a damn good story why you think you you're you're qualified to do it, especially if you've never invested before. And it's so, it's a bit
2: of an arms race. you know, if, if yeah, it's, if, it's, it's
1: an arms race to, yeah. to for people to build their egos up. And right. I think that um, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, the LPs are kind of not necessarily forcing it to happen, but it created an environment where. Um, you know, Because new managers are getting dollars, all of these new managers have to find a, a way to compete with each other outside mm-hmm. of what was sort of necessitated by fund managers in the 90s and early 2000s, even the early 2010s. And, and so I think I'm, I'm not a fan of it necessarily. Um, I, I think that it might be a necessary evil in this current epoch, but I don't know if Um, It's something that is sustainable or good for the ecosystem over the long term.
2: Listen, you know, I'm not an art guy. I don't know anything about art, but I do know where to go to appreciate a masterpiece. My investment portfolio. That's right. I recently allocated a little bit of my cheddar to a piece by Brooklyn's own Basquiat. I always loved Basquiat growing up. I just thought he had a really great style. I can't afford a Basquiat. I mean, maybe I could, but it would be a big purchase. And so I went to masterworks and I just put a little money towards that. And while people are going crazy over those NFTs, many savvy investors have been allocating capital into the art market. In fact, art as an asset class has outpaced the S&P by 174% from 1995 to 2020, according to masterworks, but fine art has always been way more exclusive than other alternative investment categories until now with masterworks you can own chairs in a multi-million dollar painting just like i did and you don't need to be super rich how masterworks securitizes investment grade contemporary pieces by artists you know like warhol banksy basquiat and even picasso and the masterworks ceo and founder scott lynn on the program he was awesome you can check out episode 1087 and 1232 Really smart cat, love his company, love his vision, very much like I invest in startups, he invests in art, he's an expert in art, I'm an expert in startups. So I have now been allocating a little bit of capital to my art portfolio Masterworks Twist. Listeners can skip the waitlist and get exclusive access by heading to masterworks.io slash twist to get started. Once again, that's masterworks.io slash twist. See important disclaimers at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Yeah, I think when you look at it, there were in the early days, a cohort of people, you know, I was a journalist, o Malik was a journalist, uh-huh. and we became capital allocators. So we just didn't stop writing because we love sure. to write. So we blog. Uh-huh. Fred Wilson in New York uh, had invested in Tumblr and was investing in RSS companies, uh-huh. Technorati, et cetera, blogger with Ev Williams, and I believe, and he... Wanted to use the software, so he started writing a little bit. So there was kind of the three of us writing, and Dave Weiner, of course, uh, you know, creator of RSS and OPML, mm-hmm. was writing about technology. So it was just a way for us, before social media became the place to do this, to just sort of share ideas, what were going on in our world, and, and create conversations. It was really about having a conversation more than deal flow, sure. building a brand. It, it was more for the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, something changed along the way. Uh, because it, uh, Brad Feld, uh, and then, uh, Jerry Colonna, Fred Wilson's partner, and then, Mm -hmm. uh, Mark Suster all started blogging. We were all kind of in the same circles and it was just a fun way for us to share information. And the great part about it was when I came into the industry in the nineties, you wouldn't be able to get a term sheet from another founder because they didn't want to share it because they were scared they were going to get sued. And so Mm -hmm. the idea of like how to pitch something or how a term sheet worked or what these, Deal documents meant none of that was available online. It was all a black box. It was all opaque. And what these early blogs did was bradfeld explained to people, you know, how to read a term sheet or Mark Suster explained, right. you know, how to, you know, uh, get meetings, whatever mm-hmm. it was. It was very how to-y mm-hmm. and just trying to support entrepreneurs. And then everybody saw, wow, their deal flow is increasing. Their speaking gigs are increasing. Sure. And that created the arms race to now mm-hmm. where people have. Taken a correlation Mm -hmm. and attributed causation to it, right?
3: Agreed.
2: And that is, I think, dangerous. Um and Mm -hmm. I think I would be uh in some ways more successful as an Mm -hmm. investor if I spent less time podcasting. (laughs) If I took instead of doing six podcasts a week, if I did just two and I put those other, you know, five or six hours into meeting with founders, I think I would be more successful. Yes. Uh and so even I look at it and go, oh my God, the the infrastructure that this takes Mm -hmm. seven eight people work on this podcast you know and i I don't know what mark and treason and like their crazy media thing that they kind of you know built up over there and nobody really reads it it's not very good but they feel like they have to replace the media for some reason it's kind of strange and i I do think it's having a weird impact on this next generation that they don't seem to want to do the work that bill gurley did Or Uh Michael Moritz did, or Uh Ruloff did. When I looked at those folks as, you know, mentors of mine, and I would ask them questions, it was about picking up the phone on the weekend for a founder, or, Uh you know, uh, being willing to go to the founder's office and spend time with the team, and Uh give them advice, and hear what their plans were, or, you know, interview uh, a CTO for them, and Uh uh, convince the CTO of why you put this $3 million in. And why that equity might be worth something and and Mm -hmm. trying to close a couple of deals. And now it's, you know, I mean, TikToks and I mean we're we're kind of getting to the point of craziness. Like, does the world need the 15th version of This Week in Startups or the 25th version of or the 250th version of Fred Wilson's blog? I don't I don't know that we do need that.
1: Yeah, I don't necessarily know if we need that any uh, either. And I think that like I think the, the the weird part that we have to Kind of work through is the fact that our industry has now become a point of interest mm. for a large swath of people that might not necessarily have a, even been interested in technology by and large 10, 20 years wow. ago.
2: Interesting point. Yeah. Why is so, that
1: important? Well, so I'm actually going to quote you. I'm going oh, okay. to read a quote back to you uh, from go. Jason Calcanis, Wired 1999. The internet is more about the kid from Brooklyn than the kid from MIT. Do you remember saying that? I
2: do. Yes. And uh, that's a pretty f***ing great quote, because it, it is true. I yeah. think it's very,
1: very poignant in, in the sense that, yes, we realistically don't need another Fred Wilson, because there only will be one Fred Wilson, and the thing that Fred Wilson, the things that Fred Wilson can write about and the context that he can provide is very, very specific. But yeah. my argument, and my devil's advocacy here would be, is there's only a certain amount of people that can really understand what Fred Wilson is writing in the way that he intends it to be written. I'm sure there's a lot of people that can understand 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% of it. But to really understand all of the context needed to garner the true insights of what Fred is saying, you have to be exposed to a lot. And I think the opportunity that is being created is all of these different siloed places of exposure. Whereas, you know, you were a group of five people who were providing Mm -hmm. this exposure back in the day. People didn't really have the optionality to go and say, hey, I don't, Jason is a little bit maybe ahead of the curve for what I'm trying to understand about the industry. Perhaps there's somebody else that can. Um, positive in a different way that is a little bit more approachable and acceptable. And I would say while that dilutes kind of, while it may dilute the content being put out by the people that are really pushing the edge and pushing the envelope, it also is kind of necessitated by the fact that there are so many people interested in what we're doing right now. There's no way all of them, there, those people's interests can be continued by reading people like Fred Wilson or Thomas Tungus or whoever it might be. Hmm. There has to be some level of intermediacy between kind of that high level and just no exposure at all.
2: When you look at the industry today, we're obviously at uh, you know, a bull run. I I Mm -hmm. wouldn't say the end of the bull run. It's impossible to predict. (laughs) Uh, But it's been a hell of a bull run. I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but um, sub 30. Okay. So you're sub 30. Perfect. Thank you. So having lived through the other ones, um, and you're probably, uh, apparently, based on Cyber Service, Silicon Valley, Paper Magazine, the Wired Quotes, who are a student of history, um, we're, we're at a pretty toppy top of a top right mm-hmm. now. And behavior, uh, in my experience, uh, and the participants in the ecosystem, as it tops, becomes very strange and weird. Uh, in other words, when the market was on the floor in 2009, 2010, yeah, there's like a new company being launched every other week, every uh-huh. week, you could kind of keep up with it. You know, there just wasn't as much craziness in town. Uh-huh. And in same thing for 2002 to 2005, you know, delicious weblog zing blogger, yeah, blogger. there was uh-huh. a very small cohort of companies. Um, now, and then when it peaks 2008, it was getting pretty bubbly. Uh-huh. And then now obviously super bubbly in 1999, 2000. What are you seeing in terms of the entitlement of either the venture class, the entrepreneur class, you've done these sort of Q and A's or story times on the handle. And you get a lot of crazy stories. So maybe you could tell the audience what's what's the entitlement level out there on a scale of you know one to Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs>
1: um, I think we're, we're 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 reaching Theranos levels of entitlement for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's probably important here to define what I mean by entitlement. I nice. don't think it's necessarily the entitlement of like oh I went to Stanford and. Uh, now, you owe me a hundred million dollar post money valuation because I have AI in my deck. I don't think that that's necessarily the level of entitlement. But what I do think is the level of entitlement is that, you know, I think that people believe that if they check specific boxes that are outside of educational, but even more so, um, just like uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Obviously, we're in a very, very interesting time for cryptocurrency right now. Change. And, um, you know, I think that if you were to even provide the semblance of some sort of structure around some type of DAO, I think that you would be able to raise a fair amount of money if you had some credibility behind it. And I think that the entitlement comes from people expecting that them participating in a specific um, vertical or a specific area of technology immediately... Garners them a specific multiple, immediately garners them um, a specific level of interest from specific firms, et cetera, et cetera. I think that every, you know, popular consumer company in the world probably feels somewhat entitled that Andreessen Orwitz should be back knocking down their door any day, given their metrics. I think that, you know, I think that there's this kind of, I think it comes from both founders. And I think venture capitalists are equally um, as guilty of this too, because there's a lot of entitlement of like, oh, you know, I'm sure this founder will come talk to me any day now because it seems like he's about at that point, right? Um, And so I think that, like, to your point, I think that a lot of what we do as venture capitalists has gone from, um, you know, being extremely proactive where I'll take calls on the weekend, I'll, you know, go into the office and do a product session with people at 9.30pm. I think it's gone from that to okay, we've established our brand, we'll just let people come to us now. Mm. And I don't know if that's necessarily, I don't personally think it's a very good thing. I think pro, like sort of proactivity is always um, the way that you get better results as opposed You're 100% to a hundred percent.
2: Right. Right now, LinkedIn is going to give you a hundred dollar credit towards your first ad campaign. I kid you not. All you have to do is go to linkedin.com slash this week in startups and you'll get the hundy. no spaces, no dashes. You need high quality leads. We know that. Everybody needs those high quality leads. And you're going to launch your new campaign, right? You've been through this before, you know, your audience, your team is so excited and everything is going perfectly according to plan, except you get that one thought in the back of your head. How can I be sure my acquisition campaign will drive high impact leads for the sales team and you know, they're gonna let you know if those are not the good leads. So with LinkedIn ads, you don't need to guess because when you advertise on LinkedIn, your messages reach people who are ready to engage. LinkedIn equals business, business equals LinkedIn. It is that simple. And with 30 million companies now engaging on LinkedIn and over 71% of professionals using LinkedIn to inform their business decisions, LinkedIn is going to give you that growth you need to take your startup or your big business to the next level. So you know the call to action. You know it. Don't wait to start achieving your brand and lead gen goals. Get $100 in ad credits for your first LinkedIn campaign right now at LinkedIn.com slash This Week in Startups. Once again, LinkedIn.com slash This Week in Startups terms and conditions apply because they've given you a hundy. You know the facts. Go get it. The the one thing I've had in my career um, is I never expected to be here. Uh, You know, like, and I kind of pinch myself, like, Sequoia picked me to be the first scout. Neval yep. picked me to be the first Angelist syndicate. You know, I hit two unicorns in my first five at Sequoia. I hit two unicorns in my first ten on Angelus. Like, yes. oh my god, what a time to be alive, right? right? Like, I hit it perfectly. I started angel investing the year after the uh, market corrected. So, yep.
1: like, good it
0: was
2: a, good a pretty good start. time to yeah. go, you know, it would be like showing up in California the week before the gold rush, you right, know, right, and right. like having like already bought your house yeah, and had a bunch
1: of already, yeah like
2: well, i had yeah. everything set up yeah. already you know i just bought a farm and everybody's like oh by the way there's gold under the farms i'm like really i just bought a 500 acre farm <laughs> uh okay great i guess i'll start mining and you know because i never went to mit which mm-hmm. in my younger years uh you know what you heard in that uh wired quote was a little bit of the chip on my shoulder I just thought to myself, well, I'm going to beat the MIT kids by hustling harder because they're smarter mm-hmm. than me, and they know some things that they taught in those courses that uh, I just don't have access to because there was no such thing as, like, MIT Open Courseware or any of this amazing stuff, which is free on YouTube
3: now, yeah, exactly. that anybody
2: can watch from around the world, and they have, like, a million views, and Mr. Beast has 100 million, I lo- <laughs> uh, uh, you know, on his squid games. I love Mr. Mm-hmm. Beast, but the love of God, you can take an AI or algorithm or economics macro micro economics course from mit for free right now and it's got six hundred thousand views and i've been taking it while watching them about you know I've, I've been watching them at night and i'm mm-hmm. just like what is going on here this has six hundred thousand views. views have 600 million putting that aside the thing that made me you know do well in the early part of my career was that i just made myself super available uh, mm-hmm. and i hosted events and i emailed people cold i emailed mm-hmm. raul at reportive and i just emailed info at reportive.com and said this is a really cool toolbar have you ever thought about taking money and he wrote me back and he was like oh jason calacanis i know you i, I listened yeah. to your podcast i was like which episode because there were four episodes or something right. at that point <laughs> and he was like yeah we'll take your fifty thousand dollars and then that's how i became one of the first investors in superhuman was because he was like yeah i'm gonna do another thing i was like great you know and that, that yeah. wound up being a, a major bagger for me And it's that like humility that I don't see. And I agree with you that the level of entitlement amongst new venture capitalists and and even some of these, you know, quote unquote brand names is like, you know, just, you know, (laughs) I I don't need to put my email address out there. Or the one I love is when some, you see this, like uh, the guy from Lightspeed who just, uh, Jeremy Liu, Mm -hmm. like went on this tirade on Twitter about like how to contact him.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And I I just read, I dunked on him, you know was before yeah. like you existed or vc brags existed so it's just like do me a favor you can email me anytime jason at is don't sure. email this dipshit if yeah. he's like upset at how you're emailing him or mm-hmm. what the subject line is or how long it is like yeah. great mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know like every vc has that moment where they're like stop emailing me right, you right, get right. off my lawn you're, you're you should contact me through one of my portfolio companies it's like sure what is this the riddle of the sphinx like you you have to get past medusa or the the minotaur to get the golden fleece like you have an email address let them open your email it's your job is it so hard to open your email and look at the first three sides of the deck and see if it's a
3: fit
1: yeah it's a so i I think you know i think one of my theses and you know you being a poker player as well i'm sure you'll appreciate is that ego is minus ev
3: Mm -hmm. oh yeah
1: what I mean by that is that, you know, the amount of opportunities that you miss simply by sort of purporting yourself to be more important than you are mm-hmm. will constantly get you this negative feedback loop. Mm. Um, and I think that like one of the great things about when I started in VC that I really, really miss was kind of that, um, I, I think hu- like hustle mentality has kind of been perverted in this, this modern day era because it's like hustle man- mentality to, you know the kids these days is like all right. Let's see, let's see how many people we can get to follow us on Twitter. Let's see how many people we can get to join our Discord. And then let's see how many people like we can. You know, there's all of these sort of fake bastions of progress that people sort of tie themselves to. And I think what I really miss about old Silicon Valley, and this sounds ridiculous to someone to say who's sort of been in it for about ten years, but like I think the, the aspect of you know you being willing to put your ego aside to the side and say, hey, I'm going to cold email this founder and literally be like, hey, I just am looking to be helpful and I think that your product is great and I also think I have some money for you because I believe your product is so great. Yeah. There's something that if you are, you know, if you're a, a 10-year partner at Sequoia, your ego really probably won't allow you to do anymore mm-hmm. just because it, it is kind of incongruent with the rest of the partner level at all of these other funds, right? Like, th- that just doesn't happen and so you kind of get sucked into this sort of whirlpool of like keeping up with the Joneses in, mm-hmm. in a negative way. Yeah. And, um, I think that like it's, it's, I, I really hope we can get back to the place where like VCs and founder, like VCs felt like that they were on the same plane as founders and not for some reason elevated for whatever reason. And the, the level of sort of like, to your point, entitlement, ego, um, all of these things, like it just sort of perverts this whole industry and kind of bring it back to why we're even sitting here. That really feeds into a lot of what the, the, the page is about it's kind of like tempering people's egos in a lot of way. Hopefully it's a backstop. Yeah. It's like, yeah,
2: yeah be, be, uh, behave yourself out there because yeah, yeah, you could like, wind it, up it, on praying for exits. Exa- if and you I, show I, up I, an hour
1: late for the meeting and you're on your phone the whole time. Like, right. I, I don't mean it to be that where it's like, I don't want it to be like this reaper of like cancel culture, where if you up, then I'm going to come. But I also want it to be like, Hey, this is a place where I'm going to be 100% honest. I don't, I I don't, I'm not in anybody's pocket. I you know, I have my own thing. I don't need anybody else's money. I I don't take advertisements. I don't take any of this stuff. Like I I really just only do it to be as honest as I feel like I can be. And so yeah. um I I think that yeah, I think that this this sort of like preoccupation with how important we all are is just so stupid and hopefully we can get back to building cool stuff because I will
2: tell you as somebody uh who was invested in sequoia and being a scout there Mm -hmm. I was always impressed by, given their success as the number one firm, historically, uh, the lack of ego, because Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would come there as a young entrepreneur and it would be like, there's Doug there's Michael Moritz, uh, there's these two young guys, uh, Alfred Lynn and, uh, (laughs) you know, Ruloff, you know, sitting in on meetings with them. Sure. And they were there every day. And when I emailed Michael Moritz that I had this new idea for a company, he responded to my email in under 15 minutes and called both of my phone numbers back in the day of phone numbers sure. uh, within the hour and said, when can you meet? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm at my office today and tomorrow. What, is there any times that work? And I was like, mm-hmm. that's why he's Michael Moritz. Like,
3: sure. and I,
2: I wrote the shortest email. It's like, hey, I'm Jason Calacanis. I sold my last company to AOL for $30 million. 18 mm-hmm. months after starting it, I'm starting my next company. It's in the search space.
1: Mm-hmm. Boom. He just Great email, by the way.
2: Yeah, I knew how to put it on the hook. I was like,, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they funded me, like you immediately sure.
1: but I think that like yeah. I think that the the problem that we kind of have talked about with founders probably prevents a lot of partners mm-hmm. from also um, sort of in, interacting in that way, and, and what I mean by that is like, take yourself, for instance, if somebody were to say that that exact uh, email to to you and uh, p- to be perfectly clear, I think that Sequoia is one of the best people of like no ego they they are willing to look at yeah. everything. And they like I really want to like reinforce that I have nothing against them as far as that. That's but I hard think too, that yeah. There's been so much of this sort of self-aggrandizement that, yeah. and I've been I feel kind of sad even saying that I, I'm almost jaded by those kinds of emails now. When somebody's like, "Oh, I, I I've sold my last company for thirty million. I'm starting a new one now. Please take a look." To me, instantly, I go to the place of. Well, why hasn't anyone else taken a look, which is definitely not the right way to think about it, yeah. but it is kind of the way that we are conditioned to think about in this kind of weird sort of preoccupied uh, behind brand and logo and all this, this phase of the industry right? And so I think yeah, going just, for,
2: you know, I think that at that point in time, that was a good email. I would, I would uh-huh. agree with you at this point in this time, because everybody's a genius right now right? because everything's up and to the right, you know, I used uh-huh. to make a joke and you know put the number of unicorns i had and then it's just like well you know then somebody said to me oh you know i have more unicorns than you and i said oh really congratulations you know which ones and he starts having the unicorns i was like you were in that round i was in that round you guys know goes, no, i bought shares on second market mm-hmm. when it was already a unicorn and i just put it on my Angelus profile yeah i yeah. was like oh so yeah. now you know Yeah,
1: there's a lot of, and so like yeah even even your email like i, I would say like you telling sort of Doug or Michael Moritz, hey, I just sold a company for 30 million. Like me in this context today, what I would think about is like, oh, he only got 30 million for it. I wonder how much money he lost to sell it for 30 million. Yeah. So the the reason
2: I wrote it that way, I'll tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking if I was in his shoes and he did Google and it got past a billion Mm -hmm. dollars, I would think this kid hit a double, maybe on his next one, he's hungry enough to hit a trip, to hit Mm -hmm. a home run. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of craft, I I took me, I I had like three or four different versions of it. And then, you know, I now in terms of talking about stuff, just I I tell everybody the chart, like Mm -hmm. if you just send an email about your customers Mm -hmm. and how they use your product and the engagement, the growth of that, and how many of those customers there are, you will just change yourself because everything now is like some buzzwords or some soft metrics Mm -hmm. or you... And it's like, I, I love a charming email. That's like, we just True. hit our seventh customer mm-hmm. and they've got 10 seats of our sounds product. And, um, you know, here's a chart of the number of minutes they're spending in it. Like, mm-hmm. that's the perfect email. I train totally. everybody in our accelerator at the early stage, own these modest wins, these mm-hmm. tiny moments of engagement, because those are so real. Mm-hmm. Those are like, you know, you're on the second date with the woman who eventually or her husband eventual husband or wife and yeah. you just have this amazing date and then you go for a magical walk around central park whatever it is and you know it's just like that early romantic moment of a startup when you get that first big client and they they ask you if you have pricing for 25 seats you know right, right. Uh, and do you have gr- do you have a group plan and you're like no mm-hmm. we never thought about that we don't have multiplayer mode in our product, yeah. but we'll add it the potential for positive change with AI is huge, but seeing that value is hard. AI-driven growth is about organizational transformation, not just technology. And many businesses struggle with bringing AI initiatives to fruition. That's where IQ comes in. IQ is the platform for everyday AI systemizing the use of data for exceptional business results. At its core, Dataiku allows companies to leverage one central solution to design, deploy, and manage AI and analytics applications, and it's accessible for everyone, whether technical or if you're on the business side. Data IQ also facilitates using pre-built components and automation wherever possible to streamline work processes, as well as consistent management and governance across teams and projects to create transparent, repeatable and scalable AI and analytics programs. Visit Data IQ to learn more. That's D-A-T-A-I-K-U to learn more. Let me ask you this. Um, well,
1: can, you, can we, we just ahead. build on that for one sure, second? Sure, sure, or sure. Interrupt? No, are you I'm- putting right now more emphasis on sort of qualitative um, aspects around team, founder, the, the the integrity of those, that kind of thing, or are you putting more around sort of the qualitative, these are our re- retention metrics, this is our CAC. this is how we're doing, like, where do you find yourself, um, like, Putting more of the emphasis on how you're evaluating. And yeah, then I'll give you my, my answer and, and see yeah. if we're great. on the same page.
2: So, um, I believe that at the end of the day, the flywheel for startups is the team building a great product that eventually hits, you know, uh, customers and those customers engage in it, love it, etc which then makes you money, uh, or gets you more investment, which then lets you, uh, hire bar raising people or mm-hmm. more people. To make a better product. And if you Uh can stay in that flywheel as a Uh founder and not get distracted Uh by NFT Basel Uh and some bullshit Dow and Uh being in the Forbes 30 under 30, 40 under 40, 50, 50, whatever bullshit. And you can just say, can I get another great team member today? Can we make the product 5% better this week? Uh Can we find another customer today? uh, Or can we uh, save a customer from churning, whatever it is? That at that the people who have that level of focus uh, and obsession, the flywheel starts, and it really is a contest of who can stay the most focused and least distracted.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and if you looked at somebody like Travis at Uber, mm-hmm. uh, or Vlad at Robinhood, or Elon at Tesla, any of the great entrepreneurs, uh, Zuckerberg would be the best example. I mean, that of guy course. is like so obsessed of just yeah. the product and yeah. the growth of that, and you know, and iterating true, yeah. on it. Um, you know Jeff Bezos. It really is very simple. Now, the thing that I see trips people up who are investors is they look at the long list. And Bill Gurley's the one who taught me this, which was, you know, J-Cal, A lot of people look at the list of things that could go wrong, and they don't invest. And we have an expression inside a benchmark: what could go right? That, that's my ridiculous yeah, bill girl my like, that's my ridiculous like that, so bill yeah. <laughs> girl that we do at the poker game and now everybody yeah. at the poker game does it slower and
1: slower i love it more draw
2: more just like we we to the point of absurdity as if like you slowed a record down to you know whatever 10 percent speed but his point is very correct um th- the idea that you would dunk on a startup because they failed it's like mm-hmm. yeah, 80% fail like you get no credit for passing like oh you passed you yeah. passed when 80 percent. yeah that's like yeah. saying like you know, I didn't bet the number 32 on the roulette wheel. I'm a genius. It's like, totally. Yeah. Like, duh. Yeah. There's 40 numbers. Like, of right course now. you I bet black, you know, and then yeah. let's have a conversation. You sure, know, like it's, sure. it's not how this works, dummy. And so I think where people get tripped up in, in the metrics game is, you know, I introduced people to come Uber, Wealthfront. In some cases, they looked at the churn or they looked at the product mm-hmm. and they saw all these problems. Mm -hmm. and they didn't give enough credit to the founder Mm -hmm. for having solved the first three or four
3: right
2: and they were looking at the next 20 Totally. and i always look at the next 20 and i look at the three or four and i'm like if they got those three or four done Mm -hmm. and they can get one of these 20 done each quarter for 20 quarters in five years we're going to have this most incredible business ever so when they were like oh my god you can't you know Uber can't be in Vegas. They stopped it. Or oh my god, they're, are they part time? Are they full time? Who's paying their benefits? I was like, those mm-hmm. things are all solvable.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: It may not be solvable in every city. Like <laughs> Vegas was the last city to fall. You know, <laughs> right, like right, right. you know, the the day I went to Vegas and like mm-hmm. was able to get an Uber, I literally got choked up because I was mm-hmm. like, I knew how hard it was to get it. Yeah. Like every CES, everybody was texting Travis, "Why aren't you in Vegas? Why aren't mm-hmm. you in Vegas? This sucks." And so. I do think the ability to look at the team mm-hmm. and just say, it's it's all going to work out. Mm-hmm. If they figured out the first three or four things, they got two or three people who are really talented to come on the adventure, two or three customers. That's what I look for. And that's so, why I've stayed early stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's better than being late stage because late stage, there's no romance. you to look at the
1: metrics. It, yeah. You just look
2: at the metrics and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're having a retention problem. And it's like, if they got to ten million, even in those cases, they got to ten or twenty million in revenue. You don't think they're going to solve that problem? Sure. sure. Like there's a pivot in there. There's an iteration in there. There's a higher in there. So anyway, what's your mm-hmm. thesis at this point?
1: Yeah, my, my personal opinion is that um, integrity is one of the most um, yeah, sort of underappreciated metrics in evaluating early stage startups, um, and I think that it's also one of the one also one of the metrics that has the most latent value if you can understand how accurately to underwrite what an uh, a person with high integrity is capable of. And what I mean by that is that, you know, everybody is sort of benchmarking their understanding of valuation on the same things, right? If you have 20 firms and everybody's looking at the same customer acquisition uh, costs and the same three month churn and the same, um, like all of the metrics that you're looking from the same data room are the exact same, then you are likely going to come to the exact same conclusion as everybody else. And that doesn't really give you um, the opportunity to really like, do what venture capitalists are supposed to do, and get those hundred Xs, those thousand Xs, and really make big swings. I think if you're underwriting things the same way as everybody else, you're leaving this massive sort of qualitative moat of these businesses that you're not really evaluating because you're so preoccupied by the, by the quantitative. And I think that you know, in the last, I would say really since COVID, I've really been trying to uh, reorient my brain from mm-hmm. thinking purely from just metrics, to thinking about how does the integrity of the person and the team behind those metrics, um, what, what what does that do for the future of this company? And I think I that, think
2: it's critically important because when people get the integrity part wrong, and they're not super focused on you know the company culture and setting that in the right direction, mm-hmm. um, you know you 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 could flip the car. Sure. You know? I've there's, seen a, there's, a, there's a million
1: it, and one yeah. ways to financial engineer any metric that you want to create, like. You know, and unless you're doing like forensic accounting and really digging in and diving in and going to talk to their customers and all of those things, then there's a million and one ways to kind of like, you know, uh, be not 100% forthcoming about how your business is operating. And I would rather bet on sort of the personality of people and say, hey, this is somebody with high integrity and, and is like a, a trustworthy and honorable person. Like, even if things, even if sh- hits the fan, like, I know this is the guy. Who will write right in the right way and not take shortcuts to kind of just, you know, get around the, as I'm sure, you know, you've, you've invested in enough companies by now. I'm sure you've seen every slice of a founder at this point. And there are some yeah. people who are no matter how talented and qualified, there's something about their inherent personality that just prevents them from being successful. And yeah. I think that that's the kind of thing that I would like to move myself away from as much as possible.
2: It really is. I have three instances of that. In 300 portfolio companies. 300 yeah, I mean, 1%. Is,
1: is still, I mean, it it's literally not.
2: is yeah. 1%. And I have three instances of such insane, unethical behavior. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just perplexed at how the person could be so gifted in one aspect. Sure. And so, you know, either criminal or borderline <laughs> criminal ethical yeah. Yeah. that I have to tell them, like, do you want to go to jail? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I literally had to have a conversation with somebody of like, this is like. I can't, I, I have like a, you know, the top three law firms uh, on retainer working with mm-hmm. them. I'm like, I checked with the, one of the top three law firms in the industry. They told me under no circumstances can I be on your board because of what you've done. It's so yeah. insane. Mm-hmm. And they don't want me to have that exposure. Yeah. Why would you do this? And it was just mm-hmm. out of total self-serving greed. So let's go there. Let's go to unbelievable stories. Ones that you've experienced or you've been told about of and we'll start founders and then we'll go to vcs we'll do this in a dueling banjo kind of way you go first and then i'll go so sure. tell me in this crazy insane entitled moment mm-hmm. something you've experienced hopefully or you've heard about uh you, you know it's true but we don't say the name of the company obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. but oh, just no, broad I, strokes what happened yeah. and why that's so disconcerting to you
1: yeah i think that like um obviously that you know i i think what i have seen is I have seen more and more recently mm. as opposed to kind of like the last decade or so, uh, these instances where you have partners and people who are best friends, who have worked together for, you know, decades and, and mm. built things together for decades, all of a sudden now in the last two to three years ha- have, you know, been at each other's throats. Mm. And I, I don't know what is kind of like the um, sort of the more macro thing that is happening, But I think that you see this across firms. I think you see this across companies, people who are like insanely close. You could, you could never expect them to be close. Besties. Yeah. Like you have your group of besties, you know, like uh, what I'm starting to see is groups of these besties becoming more fractured over things that you would feel like never would have fractured them before. And like, small Twitter comments or, you know, um, this guy went and met with a company without the other person knowing or, like, mm. these really f- things that feel almost pedestrian and, like, mm. like we're still in high school, driving these massive rifts in companies and firms and organizations that you thought were, like, larger than life. Take me know? through the
2: example uh, with, uh, you know, protecting the guilty.
1: Yeah, self. I think, you know, I, 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 I'm, I've worked with um, a firm that's very well-known in, in Silicon Valley Okay. Many times uh, across, you know, a few investments, and um, the company that we were working with, a specific company, doing a follow-on round, and th- we we asked, you know, is this firm will this firm also be participating because you know they led the last round, sure, follow-on round makes sense that they would they would, and uh, we we found out from the founder that no, there was actually an internal uh, battle between the two uh, GPs of this firm. Uh, that got so bad that 1GP is actually now leaving. And so not only will they not be doing a follow-on, but the person who had done the original investment was actually just leaving now. And wow. so I think that like, it's it's becoming. I think that this thing that we were talking about with this ego, this mm. preoccupation with ego, it's yeah. like almost elevating all of the negative aspects of things yes. that you would the have darker seen. darker aspects yeah, the dark become aspect, magnified. For sure, because you- In an in, up market. In an up market. And I think the reason is, is because everybody has a platform now. Whereas 10 years ago, you might just keep that in your, you know, something terrible happened at Facebook that would most likely stay in your circle, might be shared amongst some text messages, forwarded in an email chain. Now it's like, I'm going to go onto Twitter and write a 25 uh, tweet thread about exactly why this doesn't work. And, you know, and so I think that you're starting to see this divergence of like people that you would have never expected to see. And I, I really think a lot of it is just because, you know, there's this like preoccupation with like fame and... You know, mm-hmm. being at the top of the Midas list and all of these things that are sort of driving away, you know, like how people used to work together.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. A I, I, uh, th- this is a trend you might have seen. Founder goes out to raise money. They get a term sheet. Term sheet requires them to double their ownership in the firm, but the new investor doesn't get diluted by that. Mm-hmm. They're selecting this term sheet mm-hmm. and. And you're like, well, that's a conflict of interest. Why don't we have a comp committee board meeting? Mm -hmm. We'll handle your compensation before Mm -hmm. or after the deal is done, whenever you as the founder want that to be done. Okay. You've been with the company for six years. You're fully vested. You want another grant? Great. Super reasonable. Let's come up with something. What would we have to pay a new CEO? 5% of the company. Great. We'll give you the 5% over five years. Locks you in for another couple of years. No problem with that, right? makes total sense for everybody to lock in the CEO so they don't leave and start another company. But you've been there for two years. (laughs) You own 45% of the company, right. and now the new VC wants to own 25% and then give you another 20%, and everybody else has to experience this massive dilution.
3: Sure.
2: Oh, and you everybody has to give up their prorata.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: And I'm like, what yeah. is happening here? And yeah. in the same situation, we had a side letter for a board seat, and uh, we all agreed to the board seat over email and everything like that. We own 12% of the company. It's not like a crazy request. <laughs> Turns out the founder um, didn't co-sign. <laughs> uh, but we have the agreement, you know, yeah. and then the founder's like, well, I guess you'll have to sue me because we don't have a signed contract.
1: Right.
2: I'm like, we were your first investor. We own 12% of your company.
1: And now you want me to sue you.
2: <laughs> and now you want me to sue you. <laughs> and you want me to get massively diluted and you've got this new, and then I talked to the VC. I was like, How long have you been a venture capitalist? Oh, I just started last month. It was a former lawyer. He's like, I'd love to host you. I'm a big fan. I'd love to host you at my ranch in Napa, some bullshit. I was like, let me tell you something,
1: pal. never going to (laughs) happen.
2: I am never going to work with you again. I will never send you a deal. Mm -hmm. And if anybody asks me, like, if any of my founders ask me, I'll tell them exactly what you did. Sure. Uh, As you should. As I should. Like, your reputation is horrible from day Mm -hmm. one. And then I just said to the founder, like, listen you know, I got 350 investments. If you don't want me on your board and you don't want me around. Okay. I'm not going to sue you. I don't have time. And, sure. um, if you, uh, have somebody who wants to buy out half my shares or all my shares, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at some point, let me know. And, you know, I'm not going to go out and market them for sale, but if you right. are successful, you know, we'll probably sell them on a secondary market if that's okay sure. with you. And we'll just divest and you mm. lost me and that's it. And, uh, the founder was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, wow. Are you
1: finding that the sort of increase in these crossover funds are leading to more aggressive terms that trickle down from the later stages to the earlier stages?
2: I am seeing more and more this game of let's pay off the founder. The original payoff was secondary shares, Mm -hmm. which I don't mind. I don't begrudge a founder from selling 10 or 20% of their stake. me neither. If they can put $1 to $5 million in their bank account, it's not enough for them to retire you know if it's bari parsu and you know other people in the cap table like other employees other Mm -hmm. co-founders get to participate in that i kind of feel better about it Mm -hmm. especially if it's a you know company with you know a lot of people uh you know key employees who might also want to take advantage of that so Mm -hmm. that doesn't feel like you're buying off the founder too much right i could see an extreme case where it would um but i don't see that too often being like a payoff but then i see this you know what, in order to win this deal, we're going to demand a 10% refresh, 20% refresh to a founder's already got 50% of the company. And it's like, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Mm
1: -hmm. And the early investors are the ones who are getting punitively sort of punished for that.
2: Yeah. And I said to the, you know, this happened three times to me. Um, And uh, all three times I just, you know, listen, I got other founders who are doing better and who are ethical. And so I just choose to put my energy into their company. It's like, That's one of the great things about this, you know, uh, when you're on the capital allocator side, is Mm -hmm. like, unless it's your Uber, you know, unless it's your number one investment ever, like you don't have to sweat it, Mm -hmm. because in all three cases the companies are failing. Yeah, exactly. And they're in failure trying to screw the people who are their earliest supporters. and that to me speaks to this issue you're talking about. You know, in one instance, I had the founder. I mean, anyway, you give me your next one, crazy founder story. Yours or otherwise, or crazy capital allocator story.
1: Yeah, I, I guess like one of the things that you've sort of talked about is you know, it, it's okay if um, founders are getting sort of one to five million because nobody wants like a founder who's so preoccupied with their bills and their, you know, they're, they're maintaining their lives that they can't work for you, like that's, or not work for you, but work with you. Like that's not w- what you want. But you I want them also, to go along. For sure, for sure. And so, wh- but what I'm also starting to see is I'm starting to see, and, and you kind of touched on this, is that in these later stages, there are um, founders who are getting to take 20, 50 Whoa. Whoa. off the table. Whoa. And at that point, it makes me feel very uncomfortable because I'm like, you know, if you've made 20 to $50 million, that is more, that, that is quite a life changing. Yeah, it's yeah. a life changing amount of money for somebody who most likely three years ago had nothing and so that's all yeah, you're talking kind of,
2: about to be clear here we're not talking about a 10 to 20 year old company
1: no no no. we're talking about a sub five year old company
2: which is disproportionate they're taking more money off the table than the company has revenue in that Correct. case
1: most likely yes in that instance yes and it's and it's and these are being built into it's not even that anybody else has a say it's it's being built into the contract as such that you know if take it or this, leave it. this term sheet comes with the sort of um comes with the clause that you actually have to sell up, that you actually have to sell us your shares. Because we're not getting enough allocation via the round, we'll just buy shares off the CEO. We'll pay whatever the market price is, cash them out. And in some instances, I've seen people get close to $50 million via these sort of mechanisms. And to me, that feels very, very frothy, top, uncomfortable, because you're kind of rewarding somebody for a job not yet done. You're kind of saying, hey, Michael Jordan, you took us to the, the second round of the playoffs. But, yeah, here's your ring. Yeah, here's your ring, and so it's like, yeah, I'm not exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's still fourth a few more place. games left to play. Yeah, yeah, fourth um, place, eighth
2: best seed, fourth right. best team. Like, yeah, you're not quite there, yeah. and I that is, I I think it's an eloquent way to describe it, which is we're starting to give people. I, I don't mind people getting a little extra credit, mm-hmm. but if we're giving people, you know, their championship and their Oscar mm-hmm. before they've even. Yeah, you know edited out. the film yeah, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> you're like wow great screenplay those right. you know the trailer yeah. looks awesome Incredible but like script like what a script mind. yes <laughs> <laughs> and here's your oscar it's like <laughs> yeah. uh kind of want to see the film How first plays out yeah and yeah so i think like, that like, that's wh- really
1: an, i think that this kind of idea where we're rewarding people for almost finished work is something that's going to come back and bite us in the ass because Absolutely. in essence we're valuing 80 percent of the, the job like we're saying you know you deserve to be rewarded for yeah. almost getting to where you told us that you would go and because you're so close and we can see where you we can see the kind of a to b of you getting to that actual end place we'll just call it here and say that you did your job you know
2: i think cryptos got this going on in a crazy way listen i don't want to uh give anybody a hard time about their investments but my yeah mm-hmm. you know all my friends are in solana Mm-hmm. and i was like wow congratulations this is like the greatest return in the history of venture capital or something <laughs> and i had yeah. you know um sam from slow on and i was like mm-hmm. well, that's great you know you return two billion from a 500k investment obviously it's not liquid obviously there's not enough buyers to mm-hmm. buy out 49 billion dollars worth of solana right but i'm like they have eight developers mm-hmm. and because i had the solana founder on and i was like you have eight developers <laughs> you have 45 seven billion dollars it's like mm-hmm. it's $6 billion per developer. You know, we were talking how crazy it was when Facebook was doing aqua hires at $6 million. <laughs> Right, right, right. No, we're at $6 million? Yeah. And that <laughs> to me is super dangerous because we, how does the company grow from here? Sure. How does an sure. investor put money in and expect any kind of return? I don't know if you saw Fred Wilson's blog post, but he wrote of this course. blog post of like, uh, if you're pre product, pre product, forget about mm-hmm. pre product market fit, pre product,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you haven't built the product and it's at $100 million, how does yep. a fund ever return 20% IRR. It's just not... And he made it's a impressive. model and he said, maybe I don't understand it. Maybe there's going to be 100 or 200 trillion dollar companies, but
1: yeah. this,
2: this doesn't add up.
1: Yeah, wow. basically you're expecting that, you know, when, you know, 10 years ago when all of us were so happy that, y- you know, we had a unicorn in our portfolio. Now it's like, unless you have a decacorn, because you invested so late, yeah. it doesn't... Like, if you're investing at 100 million seed, you need a decacorn for it even to make sense.
3: Yeah.
2: It's just so great. What What's the worst behaviors or just sticks with you story about this moment in time on the VC side or on the founder side?
1: Yeah, I think, I think one thing that is kind of leaving a bad taste in my mouth is like, you know, we always as an industry have spent a lot of money on like, you know, parties and events and offsites and things, but it seems to have reached like an inflection point now where it's like mm. people are just not even being at all specific or seemingly having any sort of corporate strategy as to why they're doing these things mm-hmm. it just seems kind of like for the sake of you know having our names in people's mouths we're going to spend a million dollars on an art battle activation and when you ask like okay well how does that translate into customers and how does that you know how does that sort of wh- what's the feedback loop between your enterprise SaaS, uh product and this soho beach house party that you just threw it's really really hard to get from a to b and i think that like Again, we're in one of those flywheels where it's like, oh, well, you know, X company that just raised 10 billion just did this massive activation and Y company that just did this. And so it's like, again, crazy. Yeah.
2: This is exactly what happened at the top of the dot com market. People started throwing million dollar parties, half million mm -hmm. dollar parties, celebrities coming. And you asked yourself, well, is there not a better use of that for customer acquisition or staff to build the product and delight customers more? And, and you could look at both of them if you're throwing a million dollar party at our puzzle and you said, well, uh, our current, uh, customer acquisition cost is 500 K well, or $500. Let's say it was a SaaS program $500, we can get a new customer. Well, you could have a thousand more customers. Right. And then you could have three more game changing developers or sales executives. That sounds like a better deal. So is anybody sure. doing that math? Uh, and I, I literally have a, experience in this exact space recently where you know first time ceo wants to throw parties and i'm like you want to use you know x percent of the money you just raised on a party
3: Mm -hmm.
2: on parties over the next year is this can you show me a marketing plan and you know i was just like I, I'm the guy at the board meeting, like pumping the brakes. Like, right. really? Like Jason <laughs> Galakanis is. I'm usually the most optimistic, crazy yeah. guy who's like, let's go. I'm gung ho, but yeah. I'm pumping the brakes. Like I, I've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. This is a sign of uh, founder focus drift, which I, when you ask me how about, I make my mm-hmm. decisions with that flywheel, nowhere in that flywheel that I described of team, product, customer is our Basel right. uh, mm-hmm. or some party.
1: Yeah, yeah like, when you're when you're spending more than your MRR or even your ARR in some instances mm-hmm. on one event, it like no. to me just seems like there is a misalignment between what is under what is supposed to be understood between capital allocators and people who are using that money to build businesses.
2: And is one of the pernicious things now that if you're the adult in the room and you say pump the brakes, you're not going to get deals, or you think your reputation is going to be as a Debbie Downer
1: yeah i think that it's like it's like oh like well look at that boomer like yeah. they don't understand how culture and community is built in this modern day and age yeah. like y- stick to your enterprise SaaS and selling stuff at ces or whatever like yeah. i think it, it kind of like it almost puts you into this box of like oh you don't understand the new sort of um way that technology uh permeates into um you know public like consciousness or culture right yeah and so that, it's, like,
2: it, it, it's ridiculous like it's it's the stupidest premise ever. Like Of course we know how it does. Like, yes, we people buy commercials. They do influencer activations. Like, we sit here in any number of board meetings or strategy sessions talking about marketing channels. Mm -hmm. And nowhere in those marketing channels is just spending money like a drunken sailor. Like, it's just not part of this. And if there's no accountability or strategy, no Mm -hmm. plan, that's what gets truly offensive to me. And I love the way you frame this. And I'm going to reflect it back to you for the audience. Mm -hmm. The people who are doing this stupid they are the ones with the most modest revenue. Uh If you are at 10 million in ARR, you actually understand the value of 10 million in ARR Uh and you're not blowing a million dollars on anything Uh because you know how that flywheel works and you know that million could get you to 12 Uh or to 13 because you're efficient. But if you're at 10K a month, and 100k a year you're like yeah this million dollars you know i raised 10 million and i did it in 30 days so i'll just raise another 10 million next year Mm -hmm. with no absolute um knowledge of the fact complete naivete that trees do not grow to the moon and that Mm -hmm. 10 million dollars might not be there
1: yeah the quickness of the round turnaround i think is also a huge problem in this and you know the fact that people are sending in term sheets uh, a day after they've done their first phone call with the founders.
2: No diligence, like,
1: zero diligence term sheets. Oh, I mean, I'm not sure. Like, uh, yes, there. Are, you got to think though. Like, if if a product, if you're investing a like at a hundred million dollar pre-money valuation in a pre-product company, the only diligence that you can do is on the team. There's yeah. literally nothing else that you can do. And so, yeah. you know, like if you and, and and doing diligence on the team in a lot of instances is like. All right. Well, we'll look at their LinkedIn. We'll talk to some of the old places that they work and we'll s- just get a general sense of from our community of what these people's sort of overall feel, what, what the, what, what, the community's feeling on these people are. Right. And I think that like because round, nobody appreciates the money anymore because the round turnaround time is so quick and people are getting so much money for so little. It's like, Oh, yeah. F- like I raised $10 million on a hundred K. Uh, I'll spend a million dollars right now because if, if, if even in the sense, even in the, off chance that i get to 300k that should be a 30 million dollar round and so it's just this weird f- up mental math that everybody's using but people but we as investors and i say we is kind of like raw base but the investor class is kind of like feeding into this because they're like you know what if you want to spend our money on a party but we still get in the round you know what, f- mm. like whatever i
2: have i have a funny story for you please i don't know if i can tell it here but my god it's such a great story
1: i um, mean maybe uh maybe obtusify sort of a.
2: Well, you have a, your profile picture is mm-hmm. of Travis, Shervin, Snoop, and Suge Knight.
1: One of my favorite pictures of all time. What a group.
2: Uh, I was there. I'm standing to the right of Suge Knight. Oh, Stepped out of the picture. <laughs> Smart. The story of this is I'm out one night with a friend of mine. I won't say the name. Uh, sure. And we're at a club. And uh, Snoop Dogg's playing. And uh, I, Travis was out and I invited Travis to come sit at our table. And then Shervin is out and about, and mm-hmm. uh, he had invested in Uber. He's like, uh, can you get me into the club? I said, sure, Sherv. Sure.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He's like, um, can you put my friend's name on the door? And I'm like, yeah, we got a table. I think it's possible. Who's your friend? And he said, Shug.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I said, Shug. I said, Shug. <laughs> I said, Shug Knight? And he says, yeah, Shug Knight. I'm coming with Shug Knight. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah. Then somebody says to me, like, Snoop Dogg's playing. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's like, Suge Knight and Snoop Dogg have like <laughs> this crazy beef for decades. They're going to kill each other. Yeah. Like they've got death threats. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know if that's true or not, but I guess there was some story of this. Yes. And uh, Shervin, he, like at the time, liked a little bit of attention, I'll say.
1: I remember those days well, yeah. Uh,
2: and so I go to the door and I say, listen, my friend Shervin's coming. Uh, is it possible to put him on the list? And I, I know this is crazy. He claims, and I don't know if this is true or not, and I don't know this person, mm-hmm. but he claims he's coming with Suge Knight. I don't know if that's a disaster or not. I don't know if my friend is punking me, but I just wanted to give you a heads up mm-hmm. that if my friend does come, he could be with Suge Knight. Suge Knight shows up. Yep. Shervin proceeds to broker this photo with Suge Knight and Snoop. Incredible. And tries to pull me into it. And I immediately, out of self preservation, Smart. Say no fucking way! Do mm-hmm. I want to be in this photo? Mm-hmm. So I immediately step back with my other friend, who's high profile. And said, "This we're not being in this one because this will wind up in tmc
1: Yeah,
2: which is exactly what happened. Mm-hmm.
1: um My favorite, my favorite part about that story, and, and I love Shervin, is that Shervin and Suge are friends somehow, which is makes all the sense in the world and none of the sense in the world at the same time.
2: <laughs> at that time, uh Shervin had done the B round of Uber. Mm-hmm. bill had done the a and Prasaka and i had done the c
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh Shervin was so hyped on this investment he put mm-hmm. the uber logo in the back of his
1: head i remember it, it hey, was, i remember that mm-hmm.
2: and was walking around and people thought he was the third founder <laughs>
1: of the company. i'm sure he loved that so
2: people are like you know the founder of uber i was like which one garrett or Travis? <laughs> and they're like no Shervin. i was like Shervin? <laughs> like he did the third round there were like 50 i mean i give him credit for doing it like sure. there, there were 50 people who wanted to do it but he got it so mm-hmm. all credit to him but i was like yeah that's an example of something i wouldn't do mm-hmm. uh i'm not going to put the <laughs> <laughs> in the side of my we, head
1: we can't expect the robin hood uh fade for you no uh, i mean i understand
2: I just, like maybe a neck tattoo or something like yeah
1: just the, uh, just the com. Yeah, exactly. there we go OG. <laughs> uh
2: but yeah, that was a pretty funny photo. And um I'm just I happy was, it still exists on the internet. I was fifty percent responsible for I, I no, I'm 20% responsible for it. And uh yeah, Sherman's eighty percent responsible for the Sherman <laughs> photo. And thank the Lord I'm not in that photo. <laughs> Literally, I have a lifetime of stepping out of the photo. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, that's a talent that not a lot of people appreciate, and, and it that's, should be appreciated more.
2: Like what's the upside here? People know I'm
1: somewhat tangentially uh, related. to uh, Somehow,
2: <laughs> friend of a friend of in some other orbit. Like, no, I'm with a hard no from me. Um, well, listen, this has been great.
3: Yeah, uh, I hope
2: someday we meet. You're, are mm-hmm. you? Is it? Wait, was this a goof that you're raising a uh, praying for exits? Uh, fund?
1: No, we've we've. It's been fully raised, all committed. Uh, I'm gonna start investing it at the top of the year.
2: Okay, does that mean you're leaving the fund you're at? Nope.
1: They're does the fund you're ger- Right, here's a question.
2: Does the fund you're at know you're doing praying for exits? No. Oh my lord. Yeah. They don't know, which means they subsequently don't know about this shadow fund.
1: Correct, but what they don't know, and they will probably appreciate, is this shadow fund will uh, serve as a scout fund for... A much larger fund basically uh, so, got it. how
2: so how big was the fund and is it like a rolling fund or something
1: yeah it's gonna be we have five committed and that's it, it was like five with a cap of 10 and i just mm-hmm. wanted five to start so okay. we can so make a little
2: 100k 250k yeah, bets and, and it was, suffice it to say your fund is bigger or the fund you work at is bigger if you yeah. do in fact work for a fund and this isn't all a punk uh disclaimer disclaimer no, disclaimer i have no idea who you are ha- literally have to, no idea
1: happy to find some ways to prove to you uh to, to, that i i do have no. a fund but uh uh, At the yeah, very no, so least,
2: this has been a great conversation, yeah. uh, and you're obviously well-versed in all of this. So either you're a quick study, and this is a <laughs> complete fake, or you're in it, and it's a completely credible. I don't care either way. It was an entertaining conversation. The It's delightful to watch uh, you uh, operate the handle. I think it's funny. Uh, the, the Elizabeth Holmes stuff was a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Guilty? Will she be found guilty next week or not?
1: You know what? I think that
2: or percentage odds she gets
1: she's innocent. So yeah, I think that um, my my personal opinion is that she is going to be uh, found guilty, but that her lawyers are going to reduce what's coming to her by some very significant amount. Um, But I think that the more important part is that she will always be considered guilty uh, by the court of public opinion. Mm. And so hopefully, you know, there's nobody um, silly enough to continue to fund i I know she has some um other ambitions in in the venture space oh really she wants to be a vc uh no 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 she doesn't want to be a vc i think she wants to to raise money company oh my lord Um, can you imagine listen i I don't want i I don't want to be you know i I don't want to say anything about anything but i i would be very unsupportive of the people that made that idea into reality and i would be like
2: investing in the, the the fire festival guy
1: Yeah, well, I mean, listen, I heard Adam Newman is going around picking up checks, so there's, you know, there's a bunch... Well, that (laughs)
2: makes sense to me, because I could see people looking at Adam Newman and saying, he got ahead of his skis, but the company did make it public, it it did build an incredible brand, he learned something, he'll be on his best behavior, like, people will rationalize stuff in our industry to say, you know... Uh, The the guy from Zenefits, um, I remember, yeah, yeah. He got a sanction from the SEC, and now he's built one of the great unicorns, so... You know was was that an un, did the s e c get it wrong? I don't know, you know,
3: uh-huh.
2: like I guess they can get some things wrong, so but people if they think there's an opportunity there, will suspend disbelief uh and he's obviously a great entrepreneur in terms sure. of building product I mean he's sure. transcended in that ability, so you know uh people roll will people will roll the dice, I think is the right way uh to say it. My thinking on Elizabeth Holmes right now is um. I think there's a 20% chance she gets off. You never know. Uh-huh. Um, but I was shocked to find, because I just did um, a podcast uh, about Elizabeth Holmes, The Dropout. I just did The Dropout. There's like 20 of these podcasts about her, but The yeah, Dropout is like the best one uh, or amongst the best ones. And so I did The Dropout podcast. And I was like, listen, they they didn't call, the prosecutor didn't call any of the VCs who didn't invest. Like, no. Right. I'm like, are you sure about that? Yeah. And they're like, absolutely. I was like, I hate to tell you this, but I would have gotten her convicted in like three days. It would have been an open shut case. You you put the 20 firms that she met with
3: mm-hmm.
2: on the stand and say, mm-hmm. why didn't you invest? And they say, she wouldn't show me the technology. She wouldn't mm-hmm. let me do diligence. Have you, Has that ever happened before that somebody wouldn't let you do diligence? No. <laughs> okay. Next person. Uh, yep. What happened? She, she wouldn't let us look at the machine. She said it was proprietary tech. Have you looked at proprietary tech before, sir? uh yeah all the time do you do you then release that proprietary tech and give it to other companies of course not that'd be the end of my career and when we would get mm-hmm.
3: sued
2: mm-hmm. uh so when she told you she wouldn't show it to you what did you think well that she obviously didn't have the technology and she's a fraud okay and imagine you do that 20 times right
1: there's no jury in the world that would there's it. no mm-hmm. jury in the
2: world that doesn't go guilty yeah the prosecutor didn't call one witness who turned them down that's mm-hmm. the equivalent of like this person's a serial killer, and there's five people who went to dinner with a serial killer and got bad vibes and left, you know, the mm-hmm. date and didn't go back and get eaten and, not and murdered. And
1: that's not relevant information. And you're like, yeah, we
2: don't need to call those people. It's yeah. like, why did you run from the date with Jeffrey Dahmer? It's like, because I thought he was going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, this guy was acting very was again, strange. Yeah, he was yeah. saying weird <laughs> stuff. It's, like,
3: yeah.
2: it's deranged. But, yeah. you know, this other thing where the press thinks that Theranos was a Silicon Valley company is crazy. They're like Silicon yeah,
1: Valley enabled this. Silicon Valley, I mean, there wasn't one su- prominent Silicon Valley investor in it, so it, it does seem a bit odd.
2: so bonkers.
1: But I think that your, your, your perspective on it is probably true, and I think that if there is any justice in the world, and hopefully for our sake as, as capital allocators, there will be a sort of lined in, line in the sand that's drawn about like, you know what, like everybody in this industry tries to paint their numbers and paint what they're doing in the most rosy picture, but there is... A cap on what you can do, and I think that if she were to get off, it would kind of reinforce the idea of like, you know what, fudge the numbers, keep it pushing, just like continue to fake it until you make it, and then hopefully we'll all be rich. I think that that's like a very toxic way to position things.
2: I think that's well said as well. You know, like I train young entrepreneurs, and eventually, you know, in my accelerator, launch accelerator, somebody will have a slide that says our customers, and I look at it, I'm like, whoa, that's incredible, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, tell me how much do they each pay, and they're like zero dollars i'm like it says customers they said yeah. oh yeah they're on free trials i'm that's like that's not customers <laughs> i was like, you know i know you don't think uh, that this is important right um but and they're like oh yeah these four are in our pipeline i'm like okay
3: yeah
2: one slide for pipeline mm-hmm. targets these are people we want to sell to if you can help mm-hmm. us get in touch with them that'd be great one slide that says free trials mm-hmm. and then puts how many users are on it and you know some drill down metrics if they're actually using it, uh-huh. and then one that says pay clients uh-huh. and how much they're paying. Uh-huh. And like literally, I had somebody who had three thousand customers, and their product was like ninety nine dollars a month. And so their deck never mentioned that they had four thousand dollars in revenue. I'm like, wait a second, what's going on here? You should have three thousand. What was it? Three thousand customers, a hundred dollars a month. You should have uh-huh. three hundred thousand. You have three point six million. Why are you coming? Why are you even applying to the accelerator? Like, oh, um well, we only have like 100 people on trials and, or 1,000 people on trials. So it's like, well, still 1,000 people,
3: yeah.
2: $300 a month. You know, we only have 100 people at $300 a month, So that should be 30, not 10 and, yeah. or 4,000. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, our original pricing was $5 a month. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. yeah. Like, you, you literally don't know you're committing securities fraud in the eyes of the SEC.
1: Sure. Like, and, and there needs to be something that people can look to. Like, if I do this, this is what happens to me. And yeah. I don't think that there I- that exists. I don't think that there has been this one thing where it's like, oh, this person flew a little bit too close to the sun and their wings fell off. Like.
2: We just had one. There was an app company uh, in the peninsula here that just straight up lied about their MRR and they got busted. And it was because mm-hmm. some investor like was told X and, right. you know, the tax return said Y or whatever. And mm-hmm. they're like, OK, wait a second. When I invested, you said you're at 80 million in AR. and You have 40. Uh, with some like app, you know, metrics company. And sure. the founder just straight up lied about straight their lie. ARR. And uh, he's going to go to jail and, you know, never be able to run a company. All right, listen, we talked for over an hour. Great guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody follow Praying for Exits on Instagram. It's hilarious. Uh, it's well worth following. And uh, it was a pleasure having you on the pod. I hope to uh, we'll talk accusation. to you again soon. Yeah, I would All love right. to,
1: to do this again. Thank you, man. I right. appreciate I can't it.
2: wait to hear how your voice. I got to hear your actual voice. But we yep. are going to uh, mask it in a modulator we worked hard on the modulator make sure your producer did a great job
1: so i really appreciate
2: it well we will guarantee that we will not out you because we don't know who you are and hopefully you don't get out
1: uh, i appreciate your
2: success and we'll
3: see you all next time on this week in service bye bye